right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you have a Bible or the Red Pew Bible in front of you, we're going to be in John chapter 15 today. That's page 1068. Uh, for the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at the biblical vision for what it means for people to be together with God. We've, we've looked at that with God piece for about a month now, but now we're going to be focusing on for a couple of months about uh, togetherness amongst his people as we are with God together. Uh, today's sermon is titled, The Cross-Shaped Friendship of Jesus, and that's John chapter 15, 9 through 17. Um, I'm going to unpack this just for a second here. I want our church to be a, a spiritually powerful and spiritually hopeful presence and in Wilmington and in Northern Delaware. More than anything, I want anyone who not only walks through these doors, but who brushes shoulders with us throughout the week and interacts with people from Emmanuel to, fe- to feel as if they just brushed up against Jesus himself and the hope and the life that he brings. Uh, to talk about friendship sounds uh, um, almost, we've talked about it a little bit in this sermon series, it, it feels shallow almost, like friendship, like what's the big deal. Uh, We are in a, like loneliness is a massive societal issue. More people feel lonely today. Uh, You can read all the statistics are widely available than in terms of numbers uh, than never before. It's so bad in England, okay, because they consider this actually like a, it's a public health crisis, the amount of loneliness. There's a minister of loneliness in England, by the government. Like, it sounds like a Monty Python sketch almost. But it's, it's real. Like, it's such an issue in England that they hired somebody to try to consider from the government top down how to uh, bring some kind of healing to that in their own society, a minister of loneliness. Um, but as you're going to see friendship and, and love and the good news of Jesus, it's, it's, it's going to be much bigger than you thought. It's going to be much uh, uh, wider than you ever imagined. So just a little story to start. Who has ever driven and uh, seen that car broken down on the side of the road? And you had the quick thought, I wonder if they could use a hand, but you definitely don't have time for that. And that just like brief moment, you know, you're thinking like, I, I, this is super inconvenient. It's definitely not going to be me, but there's so many cars driving. There's so many people around you know, surely they're going to get help from somebody else, but, you know, they have cell phones, they can call somebody, they're fine, and you just keep going. Well, a few months back, I had one of those days where, like, from 7 or 8 a.m. to, you know, 9 p.m. was just, it was called for, like, every minute, okay? And it was just one of those days where it was just a rush from day to um, night. And uh, this is the back back end of March, where it was, like, you know, one of those rainy, cold, post-almost-winter days where you wish it was snowing, but it was just raining. It was like 34 degrees, one of those pleasant days. And I was rushing home from here to stuff my face with dinner and then rush out somewhere else. And like a block down from my house, there's that car. And it's pouring rain, and there's this young guy sitting on the curb just with his knees up. He's kind of staring at his car, obviously has a flat tire. He's just staring at it. And I'm like... I have the thought, okay, it's close to my house. There's no shot. I don't have time for this. But there's so many cars. I'm on a kind of busier street. He'll be fine. And so I go in the house. 
I'm about to eat dinner and my wife says, oh, can you go to Rite Aid and grab this before you head it back out tonight? And I'm like, okay. So I get my car, I go to Rite Rite Aid down the street and he's still there. Takes like 15 minutes in Rite Aid, not a quick trip. I come out, the guy's still there, all right? Still staring and just like staring at his car. And I get my house and my kids, uh, they're looking out the window and they see this guy and it's raining. And they're like, dad, aren't you going to help him? And at this point, I've been resistant. I've resisted any kind of feeling of that's going to be me that helps him. I mean, there's neighbors, there's cars. It's, it's just not, today there's just no shot, right? But my kids saw that and now I'm like feeling guilty. Look, my kids got to see their dad, like, you know, be the, the dad here and, uh, and not resist this. And so now because of that pressure, and my own, my own annoyance that all my neighbors who chose not to help him, I guess, you know, and all the cars that didn't stop for him, you know, I was getting frustrated. All the people who weren't helping that probably weren't rushed like I was, um, I decided to go and stop. Like, hopefully, I don't know if you guys have had that scenario happen, but it's, maybe you can relate to something like that, right? Or some other similar time when somebody actually needed help but you just continually found a million reasons why you shouldn't mostly do because of the cost it might take on you, the, the toll it may take on your life, something maybe even beyond your schedule, the mental or emotional toll, or just the, the, the drastic inconvenience it may take to grab somebody else's burdens and take it on as if it is your own. Today's sermon is about looking at Jesus and his love and his command of what it actually means to be a friend. His definition of friendship, which we're going to see, is much bigger than what we are normally accustomed to. And we're going to see, uh, yeah, it's very challenging. So John 15, beginning of verse 9, let's read this together. This is a word of the Lord. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. A little context before I read this. This is the last evening before he's arrested. This is his last supper kind of talk here as he sits with his disciples. He's about to be arrested um, uh, the next day and he's about to be crucified that afternoon. So here he is, his last kind of hangout with his boys, with his guys before the big day. This is three years of climax, right, of ministry that's led to this kind of final night with his guys, and he's telling them some really stuff, uh, important stuff that's near and dear to his heart. So he says, as a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. So he's saying, I, I love you, okay? It's agape, it's a Greek word that means I love you, but I want you to know that the love I have for you is the same exact kind of love that God the Father has for me. There is no greater joy, says Jesus, than feeling and knowing the love of God that he has for you, that the height and the depth of the width of that joy is unsurpassable and that his love meets no equivalence in this world. It is pure joy, it is real joy, it is deep joy. The the Christian doctrine of the Trinity says that God is one but three and they have eternally been in community and in relationship with one another. It's a mystery how we define this, but in essence, God has always loved. 
He's loved himself in his threeness and his plurality, even though he is one. And he, when creating us, you know, he, he didn't create just one person, but two, and they could also create. And he wanted this world full of human beings that learn to share and the love that he has had amongst himself for all eternity past. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that God has loved me and I, I've been trying to share this love that I've had for eternity past. I'm trying to share it with you because you you need to share in this. You need to know the divine love that I have had. There's no greater joy that is available. He says, I want you not just to know it, but to walk in it, to remain in this love when you interact with your wife or husband or kids or friends to, to remain in his love. As we're going to see, it means to actually be a loving person, to go beyond just defining love as action, but love is being as a state of being. Verse 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Let's, let's carefully read this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So love each other. That is not controversial at all. You go to knock on anybody's door around here, any business, any whatever, and say, is it good to love other people? What are you going to hear? Yeah. Who's going to say no, right? It's like, that's not good, actually. No, it's good. That's a culturally accepted notion that it is not controversial at all. Yeah, love others. It's actually become somewhat of a, a, a cultural mantra, right? Um, to, to love all. Um, I want to try to define exactly that modern definition, right? Uh, what the modern person, uh, how they may define love. So I would venture to say that even though our society knows it's good to love one another, their own definition is, is deficient. It's probably deficient. That's what I want to talk about. Um, I was looking at just some good, decent, you know, uh, uh, modern definitions, and I, I found this pretty influential blogger, philosopher guy on, on the internet that has quite a large following. That I think his definition just captured well how the modern person may define love. He, he breaks it down into three elements. That love is complete acceptance. This, again, this is a modern definition. When we allow someone to be exactly as they are without any belief that they aren't good enough, Without any belief that they would be better if they were different, this is love. Again, according to this, this influential guy um, out there, that you know, it's not just his definition. This is de- basically the shared cultural definition. Love is complete acceptance. Love is completely unconditional. Love has no conditions. When we truly love someone, we can't stop loving them regardless of what they do or say. If our love is dependent upon the other person acting or speaking how we want, then this love is completely conditional, right? Uh, when we, all, we often confuse this to be love, but this is just positive thoughts about someone. So love is, is complete acceptance. Love is completely unconditional. And the last, love is selfless. True love doesn't want anything in return because there is nothing it needs. When we just love for the sake of love, When we love someone, we don't look for them to fulfill our needs or love us back or all of those types of things. So generally speaking, that's a decent modern definition, that threefold love is acceptance, unconditional, and love is selfless. Now two of those things, what the modern person may not recognize or realize off the bat, 
Two out of three of those things is deeply, deeply rooted in Christianity and actually would not exist apart from Christianity. As, as Charles Taylor defines it, so much of our cultural values today stem from Christian, from, from church history, from scripture itself, right? They didn't appear out of nowhere. But what's happened is belief in God has been removed, but what remains is the Christian values. And he calls them, they're floating now. They're floating because they have no roots, but they're just still there, right? So love unconditional, we can find some scriptures that point to that. Love is selfless. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But this first one is interesting. Love is complete acceptance. And I think that people embrace that today because of when you remove the foundations of the existence of God, when you remove the foundations of, um, of, of things like sin, things like wrongdoing, and we take those things away, what, what, what appears is love is complete acceptance. If I don't believe in God, any notion of sin or fallen human nature isn't in my worldview, then the mission to be my authentic self, that's the peak of achievement. But not only for myself, I need to love other people's authentic self. I need to accept who they truly and completely are. And that's the, that's the kind of the key to the modern person's understanding of love. But however, no modern person is really consistent with this. I, I, I think this may be a good example, I don't know, but for example, uh, you, you wouldn't look at a house, it's not really a person, but you'll get to what I'm trying to say. You don't look at a house and see it on fire or let your kitchen, kitchen sink be leaking everywhere and say, well, that's just authentic self. I'm just going to let that kitchen sink leak, okay? The house is on fire, but it's a beautiful, that's what it is. I'm just going to let it burn, right? Um, what about when something is, is broken inside? What about, what if your own kitchen sink is leaking, for, for example, or your own house within here is on fire, right? Do we have a box in modern times that says, you know, actually, you being your authentic self, there's something broken, in you right now like it's I, 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 I maybe I shouldn't accept who you maybe we shouldn't accept who you are and we should look at what needs restoration within what needs healing within what needs help within there's not a good box for that your body has cancer you don't let your own body be its authentic self right you want healing from that ultimately the modern ideal of love is complete acceptance it might be a good first step as we'll see at the end of our time but ultimately it's incomplete the key to the true, the true love, understand this, the key to true love is and only can be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus points us to his impending death as the ultimate, ultimate example of love here in verse 13. He says this, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Consider that. I want you to read that one more time. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learn from my father, I have made known to you. There's no greater love than someone giving their life for someone else. In context, this is referring to 
what was to come. Jesus knew his time has come. He knew that the cross was in front of him. His impending death was coming. He knew that he would be bearing the weight and the sins of the world his own shoulders. And that is his own definition of love. It says there is no greater love than someone laying down his life for others. This is what the cross that Jesus says of love. It says this, I, and this is, this is actually really good news. Like I want you to consider this. This is really good news that Jesus does not accept you for who you are. In fact, to accept you as you might be, might be the most harmful thing that could happen. It is because, this is my paraphrase of Jesus' word, it is because I love you that I don't accept you for where you are right now because there's broken things in you. I want to remove those and heal that brokenness within you. You are a person made in the image of God and like all of us have suffered beneath the weight of sin and the disordered desires that rage within you. We all know those things are there. We all know that our heart rages and desires things that we should not have. It desires me, me, me above everything else and God knows this. And that's part of this broken world and it's why Jesus came to take those things on and to pay for them and begin the restoration project of cleansing this world from sin and death. And he says, I don't want you to remain there because I want to make you into something new. I want to make you into a new creation. I want to give you a new heart that's soft like a baby's and not so hard, full of sin and death. No, I don't want you to remain the same. I want to make you into something new. And that is the message of the resurrection when he broke out of the grave. He paid for our sins, but he came out of the grave to say, I'm here to give you new life. Just like I received new life, I'm here to give you new life. I'm here to restore you to myself first by dying for you. And this is really good news for those who want to be honest about human nature, for those who want to be honest about their own shortcomings in life. There's healing and help available by the Holy Spirit that is given to us to give us a new heart. But here's the key to all of this. Jesus called this friendship. He said this is friendship. Now, I, I, wanna, I want that to challenge your, your idea of friendship, okay? Um, I have really close friends. I have a lot of close friends in Georgia where I grew up. And, uh, you know, I may speak to them I don't know, a couple of, every other couple months or so, right? But I consider them close friends. Uh, I have good friends here in Delaware, even after a couple of years, um, which is good. Um, but Jesus says um, that friendship here is so great that it actually leads someone to lay down their life for someone else. That's a very intense definition of friendship, one that I would be, uh, I'm sure we'd be hard pressed to find our culture defining friendship as, right? It's literally taking on uh, somebody else's life is, is more important than your own and be willing to lose your life for the sake of saving that other person's life. Um, I, I think I mentioned it before, but um, uh, oh, what's the movie called? Uh, the, um, I, I mean, I have kids, right? So watch these. Wreck It Ralph, right? I don't know if you've seen Wreck It Ralph, okay. There's a million movies like this, but there's a really moving part in the story where Ralph, yeah, Ralph was his name. He's the, the big guy from the, it's an interesting story, but he's willing to actually die for the sake of his friend, 
Penelope. It doesn't actually go through, but there's a moment when he's, he's willing, he makes the jump, and he's about to sacrifice himself. And it, it moves us when you watch those movies, when you see somebody give themselves up for somebody else. There's something that moves you. It says, is that real? Like, could you fathom that kind of love to be found? That somebody be willing to die for somebody else and lose everything for the sake of preserving somebody else's life? Is that possible? And our imaginations just get entranced with that. Like we can't fathom that kind of love because I'm here to tell you it's a supernatural kind of love that is not normal in this world. It's alien to it. And it comes from the good news of Jesus that says somebody did come into this world with a love from heaven, a heavenly love, a divine love that's wrapped up in Jesus' vision of what that eternal life is. It's a, it's a kingdom love from heaven that broke into this world that says God came down and gave himself up for us. That is true love. And Jesus even says that he calls his disciples, you're my friends because I no longer call you slaves or servants. You're my friends here. I'm giving myself up for you because that's what friends do. Now to live out this friendship according to Jesus is to keep his command, which is to love one another. So to kind of maintain this friendship and to then spread this friendship means to love like Jesus loves. That's kind of the point here. He's saying that that what I'm doing for you is not stopping there. I'm actually commissioning you guys to go and to live this out and to share this out and let this be what marks your life. And the love with complete acceptance is love without suffering. It's love without burden bearing. If you understand what I'm trying to say. It's easy to love somebody and say that there's, there's no conditions, there's, there's no, uh, no, nothing that's um, called for uh, uh, in your life. You just be whoever you want to be and I accept that. that. That's easy, right? But what about when somebody comes and, and there's, there's lots of brokenness and disorder things and you realize if I love this person and I, I need to speak some hard truths to them or to help them, some of their burdens just may bleed on my own shoulders, and then love gets hard and love gets difficult. It's very easy to say, just be your authentic self, be whoever you are, versus saying, actually, I want to step into your life and love you in such a way that I'm willing to, to sacrifice for you in hopes of you know, helping you, serving you, loving you, and possibly seeing your own heart healed and, and to grow. That's kind of part of the gospel message here. When one of us in this room is hurting, according to Jesus, Their pain is intended to become your pain. When one of us is going through a difficult time, or one of us is noticeably isolating ourselves from community and from relationships, and becomes distant, starts pushing people away, like that one lost sheep in the parable, we pursue them. And whatever burdens or crises or hardships that have fallen on them become your crisis, become your hardship. Now, I know there's, there's, there's lines with this. There's healthy boundaries. We'll talk about that in later sermons. But today, here's what I'm convinced of. That this is, I'm convinced that the power of the church lies in this conversation. And I think that the church has largely become powerless 
Because in 2022, generally and broadly speaking, we have all been trained to avoid suffering at all costs. For every small little ache in our bodies, there's 5,000 different brands of Tylenol to help you. Right? Who's been overwhelmed by that at uh, Rite Aid? Right? That's insane. Um, we see that. And so uh, there's a vaccine or a pill for almost any ache or pain that we have. Um, we've outsourced uh, the death of our loved ones. Uh, funerals used to be in our living rooms, right? But as a society, that we've, uh, we've taken that out of our homes. The hard, dirty uh, labor jobs in America, they're hard and they're, they, they, they cause pain and there is a bit of hardship that comes with it, but those jobs are being emptied out, right? Nobody wants to take on those hard jobs. Nobody wants to take on the, the, the suffering that may come along with hard labor. We often invite God to ease our own personal pain in life, but are we willing to be the very means by which God eases a pain and suffering in somebody else's life? That's the command to love like Jesus. That's the true body of Christ. And right before and after this, Jesus said that the helper, the Holy Spirit, was being sent to his disciples after his own departure to keep his words in their heart and empower them for this very sort of love. Friends, this is, a, this is the sort of love is at the heart of the gospel. This sort of love is at the heart of Christian community. Jesus indeed points us outward now. This sort of self-giving love isn't just to be found here in our own church community, but it's to be carried out into our neighborhood. This is what he says. He says this, verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go, all right? I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, verse 17, love one another. I want to briefly visit one more time that definition of love as acceptance. There is a partial truth there. It's a partial truth, okay? Jesus tells his disciples, did you, did you choose me? He says, actually, no, I chose you. Did you see me and say, hey, I want to be his disciple? Jesus says, actually, I'm the one who chose you. And this is where in the Bible, over and over again, we see the mystery of God's sovereignty. When we say yes to following Jesus, it turns out in the mysteries of times past that first God said yes to us. That first God chose us. First God looked down and gave us the faith that turned our hearts toward him, even though we perfectly willingly with all of our will said yes to him. That even while we were sinners, says Paul, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were at our worst, God still said, I want you. His love to us is unconditional. I just want to make sure that we're okay here. We're good? Hey, Jim and Mark and those guys in the balcony, are we good? Should we leave? Should I still be preaching? We're okay right now? Okay. It's a little smoky in here. We're okay? All right. We're going to keep pressing forward. Can we keep pressing forward? Hey, 
Fire. Everybody out. Everybody out. Everybody out.